0: All right, let's see here. Let's uh, let's see what's going on on the Internet. Okay, let's see. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, no. No, this is the end. This is the worst nerds I've ever gotten. I've got to go to the... I must take this to Twitter. Here we go. Hey, nerds, I just found out. Star Wars continues to be ruined by Disney and Kathleen Kennedy. Once again, they have failed to deliver a proper Star Wars to us. Now, and I can't believe I have to report this, it has just been revealed that the new Star Wars character will be played by a Latino lesbian. (gasps) Why does Star Wars continue to shove this woke agenda down our throats? Why do they continue to make Star Wars an unsafe space for straight white men? It is as if they have forgotten where all their money came from. Us straight white men. And I just, as I see your typing, tears screaming down my face i feel with anger to know that once again, the woke agenda of Hollywood continues to attack us. <clears throat> Which is why I say, my nerd brothers, we must rise up and remind Hollywood that we are strong, straight white men. And we will not be silenced in the wake of their woke agenda. Go woke. Go, go broke and sit. <sighs> Ma'am, I need more Mountain Dew and chicken nuggets <sighs> and my inhaler. <sighs>
1: Welcome to the show. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another edition of Ruben Uncut. Today we're going to be talking about gatekeeping. Are you familiar with, for those not familiar with the term gatekeeping, gatekeeping refers to a cultural phenomenon. Hmm. Excuse me, just drinking some delicious fizzy water because my throat's all dry from that nerd voice. But gatekeeping refers to the phenomena of members of a community attempting to either force out people who are different, who refuse to enjoy the same fandom as them or activity in the same way that they enjoy it. So, what am I talking about? Because <clears throat> for some of you, that may still not have at- made any sense. What I'm talking about is this. <clears throat> so, let me give you an, an example. Star Wars recently, well, as recently for. St- well, no, wait, no, they're making Star Wars stuff all the time. Okay, so, in The Last Jedi, let's be specific as hell, and to a lesser extent, maybe even The Force Awakens we could use as an example, but... In The Last Jedi, they introduced a new character called Rose Tika, who is played by an Asian actress. i sorry, an Asian actor of the who is a woman i refuse to use the word actress because of its sexist origins actor is a non-gendered word but anyways as i was saying this actor uh came into star wars at which point she was brutally harassed online just for being in the fucking movie why? Because suddenly people were upset, and actually, the the hardcore fanboys who by the way, most of the hardcore fanboys are, you know, my age, in their thirties or older, or just moderately younger—lost their fucking minds. <clears throat> it was bad enough. It was bad enough that the new Jedi was a girl. <sighs> Excuse me, bubbly water. It's bad enough that the new Jedi was a girl, but now Star Wars is pulling in new characters? And they were going to be girl characters and Asian? What the fuck? There's Asians in space? Uh, yeah, nerds. There's totally Asians in space. You fucking idiots. Look. The fact that a portion of the audience rose up to attack this woman online and then also attack anyone who enjoyed the film or and argue about it incessantly, they were participating in something called gatekeeping. And in this case, they were gatekeeping in a very specific way, which was they did not want more representation in Star Wars, which is fucked. They wanted to see more characters they related to. As if the plethora of straight white male characters throughout the Star Wars movies wasn't, you know, already pretty well established. Also, in a world full of aliens, it feels fucked up that you're worried about people being female and Asian. (sighs) Even more fucked up is that they're gatekeeping kind of worked in the following sequel the 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 rise of skywalker or is it return of sky i don't give a fuck it's the shittiest one the point is is that rose's part was severely diminished because of negative fan reaction and to be fair disney was super all over the place with their star wars movies auto-correct, automatically jumping to course-correct after pretty much every single fucking movie. The first movie coming out and being criticized for being too the same as the previous Star Wars movies, and then The Last Jedi being criticized for being too different from the previous Star Wars, and then fucking slamming into... the the third course-correction... the second... I guess that's technically only two course corrections, but the, a course correction on the last Jedi in the form of the rise of Skywalker. In with Star Wars, the fans were specifically trying to block the introduction of non-white male characters. I mean, the film already had Poe Dameron, who just who, yeah, know. The internet will, the internet will continue to question all the characters' sexualities because that's what the internet does. Although, to, to be fair, Disney also doesn't have to, 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 you know, like, bait people quite that much either. Uh, we'll keep it ambiguous so everybody's happy. What if everybody hugs Ray? Then it's like they could be a throuple. Star Wars, first threeple. Anyways, sorry. Where was I? Right. So, Star Wars fans... So where was I? So Star Wars has always had... Now in fairness, Star Wars has always had a toxic fan problem. They've been pissed off even back at the prequels. And the toxic fandom of Star Wars has just torn... It is just full of people who are ready to uphold specific parts of Star Wars as the best Star Wars and shit on any other Star Wars that anyone else may like. And here's the thing. I do really think The Rise of Skywalker sucks a big old bag of dicks. But if you like that movie, I will never... I'm not going to try and ruin that for you. That mo- if that movie means something to you, that's awesome, and you're a Star Wars fan, and I embrace that about you. Because I am not a f- fucking gatekeeper. Now I'm just going to go through. So now I'm going to explain a concept I call infinite Jesuses. What is infinite Jesus? Infinite Jesus or five-dimensional Jesus or something is like, works like this. I'm going to use a metaphor which will make Christians happy until I get to the end of the metaphor, and then they'll be like, wait a minute, what? Uh, so people go to church. People go to Christian church, whatever, just using it as an example. The thing about that experience is is that you have all these people in one place, at one time because they all believe that they believe the same things and in a broad stroke they probably do they are all there because they are choosing to worship jesus however if we were to talk to each of these people or survey them and break it down into the minutia if we were to ask these people to describe who and what jesus was to them what he looked like what they think the most important or inspiring parts of jesus are i guarantee you you would end up with a much more varied spectrum than you would expect and there's a lot of reasons for that it's completely possible that the saint Church might harbor a person who is sitting there imagining Republican Jesus with his fucking AK 47 fighting the Mexicans off at the border. But there's also a hundred percent possibility that there's the same per- another person in that church, depending on how centrist this church is, I guess, who's sitting there imagining hippie love Jesus walking around with his guitar breaking up the big banks. So, those, I mean, those are essentially the two ultimate ends of the Jesus spectrum. Hippie commie Jesus, who loves everybody, and righteous Jesus, who's covered in blood and carries an AK-47, and wants you to be straight as hell, so that you don't go to hell. And that's the spectrum of Jesus. And everyone in that church will fall, probably fall, if it is big enough church, will fall at a varied, different points on that Jesus spectrum. And as you go from church to church, where the people are falling on the spectrum of Jesus is, will be different. And the thing is, is that when you will take this and you apply it to fiction as, when you apply it to fiction as well as jesus then you will sorry i have to laugh because i know some people are going to read more into that that series of comments than i intended uh but what you will find is that this spectrum of different viewpoints on fictional characters is exceptionally different as well And there's a reason for this. Partly because if a character, and sometimes even if a character only has one main book that makes them famous, but especially with stuff like Batman and Superman and Star Wars and Star Trek, there are just so many points of reference to draw from. There's literally thousands of batman and spider-man and superman comics each of them have had typically had more than one comic being published at a time and many and most of their comics have run for over or close to a thousand issues already not to mention their spin-offs and sidekicks and events and graphic novels that aren't in continuity it's just an amazing library of content for to choose to adapt into other other mediums such such as video games and com, and and movies and cartoons and and that even expands it because every time every issue of a comic is somebody's first issue of that comic every cartoon is someone's first time witnessing that character someone may have discovered Batman not even through those things but maybe just from his fucking action figures so suddenly we have this giant mass of different Batman so the Batman spectrum of how he's been portrayed and written could be vastly different for example, early Batman, pre Robin Batman mostly, is just this, is, is very much just a ripoff of the shadow. In fact, someone has pointed out that the very first story of Batman ever published is almost a word for word retelling of a shadow story. Um. Which, according to the artist, but not the writer, interestingly enough, was because it was meant to be a proof of concept and not a real story. However, the writer, uh, Bob Kane, decided he would get it published anyways, you know, for money. But the point is, is that Golden Age Batman is kind of hardcore. And he went around being hardcore, gritty, and violent, until he shot a vampire while it was sleeping... And this, and DC Comics was immediately like, We would like Batman not to ever shoot someone again. Shooting that vampire while he was asleep was kind of fucked up to us, guys. And the writers of Batman had to be like, Okay, no more shooting. At which point, Batman proceeded to do things like run people's cars off the road so they would ambiguously die, and a couple times accidentally knock someone off a building or step on a dude's neck as he fell down the side of a building. And then the 50s happened, where the censorship went up, and suddenly they were like, no, seriously, guys, Batman's not allowed to kill anybody anymore. Also, we're not allowed to show crime. What? Yeah, Congress... Congress got real mad at crime comics, so now no comic book can ever depict how a crime was committed or solved.
0: So Batman can't really be a detective?
1: No. Oh. Well, what do we do? Well, it's the 50s. Uh, so why don't we just, you know, do a bunch of weird sci-fi stories where he turns, like, into negative Batman or, you know, fights aliens in a boxing match. All right, let's do it. And that was the fucking 50s. That was the fucking late 50s into the 60s where Batman was mercifully saved by the 1966 TV show and movie with Adam West and Burt Ward as Batman and Robin, which created a whole other version of Batman that was fucking ridiculous Don't get me wrong, that's kind of what's great about Adam West's Batman. But it's so. But at the same time, it was a very different interpretation of Batman. Then, in the 70s, the comic was returned to its gritty roots, although Batman still not into murder, because murder is bad. So, Batman continues along his righteous path, but now it's a little bit darker, and they've brought back the Joker. Because the Joker's allowed to murder people again, and that was his whole deal to begin with. And then Tim Burton introduced us to another version of Batman, who's all weird and gothic and surreal and straight-up murders people. Just straight up murders people with a smile on his face and a laugh in his heart. If there's one thing we can say about Michael Keaton's Batman is that A, he was crazy like a fox, and B, he really loved being Batman and murdering the shit out of people. Don't believe me? Go back and rewatch those the Tim Burton ones. He murders a bunch of people until Catwoman's like... Until there is a weird scene in Batman Returns where Selena Kyle's all like, I've got a gun. I'm going to shoot Max Shrek. And Batman, who's been in the whole movie, just literally murdering homeless circus performers, is like, No, you can't kill.
0: No, you can't kill Max Shrek. He's a billionaire.
1: Which was kind of fucked up. Batman Returns, kind of a fucked up movie. But it's also a surrealistic, gothic nightmare of a film that is bizarre and truly weird. And that's kind of the best thing about it. It is a fucking fever dream of a comic book film. And honestly, that's my favorite part of it. (sighs) But it scared the hell out of family groups. And you know, so Warner Bros. kicked it over to Joel Schumacher to sell a bunch of action figures. And it was campy and full of puns again. Well, Batman and Robin was campy and full of puns again. The first movie was campy, but not as pun heavy. Batman Forever was campy, but not as pun-heavy. I don't know if you heard that, but that was my cat. Alright, where was I? So, I think I've established a point, though. Oh, and then there was, of course, the animated series, which I have to mention because there's so many people who that is like their Batman Bible. Everything they love and believe about Batman is totally from that fucking cartoon. And don't get wrong, that cartoon is a work of fucking art. But as someone who started on the comics, I will tell you to the day I die, it's still not comic accurate, bitch. Okay, but anyways. <laughs> but anyways. and Then I also have to mention at least the people who are fans of Batman. Because of the video games, specifically the Arkham video games, or even the Telltale video games, partly because in these games there was a lot of grayness to the morality of Batman. Just you know, he he was it was the game never explicitly told you you were murdering people, but you know you punched them a lot, and. And in the Telltale Games, you got to decide how violent Bat... Vi- you actually got to choose Batman's morality in the Telltale Games. So that's worth mentioning. But the point is, Batman has a pretty wide spectrum. And I could go into the whole, Ze- the whole argument over Zack Snyder's depictions, but, like, honestly, I feel like you get the point. There is a lot of different interpretations of batman because he's been around for almost a hundred fucking years and people have just written him a lot of different ways and there have been changes made to him through various uh adaptations to various media and every time someone was exposed to one of those things and fell in love with batman It only strengthened the Batman mythos in our society. However, it also meant that, by and large, people have the strongest emotional reaction to the version of Batman that first touched them. And this is true of every fictional character. Look at what happened with the fucking Superman movies. Christopher Reeves' movies came out, and that fucking sold Superman to a lot of people. Really jumped him up in the pop culture pantheon. And then, and then, you know, the movie started to suck. Because of studio intervention, primarily. And then... It just fell off for a while, and they tried to make it with Tim Burton didn't work out because the producers were insane and then we get the return of superman returns which was meant to be a soft reboot of the reeves movie and by that i mean it takes place after superman superman 2 and ignores the shit out of superman 3 and 4 and that's what it was meant to be funnily enough it was largely criticized and generally unsuccessful What was it criticized for? Primarily because fans were like, this is too much the same as Christopher Reeve's Superman. So Warren Brothers went back to the drawing board and said, you know what? Serious worked for Batman. Let's try it for Superman. So they gave it to Christopher Nolan and, and Zack Snyder to make, and they pumped out Man of Steel, which I'm a big fan of. However, it's worth noting that when that movie came out, The fans all immediately... A bunch of fans immediately started to cry. It's not enough like the Christopher
0: Reeves movies!
1: Because of course they did. Because of course they did. So then we got Star Trek. The new Star Trek shows. Which I haven't seen. Because I don't want to pay for CBS. Which I... believe they're on Paramount now, but the point is I don't want to pay for more streaming services and I love Star Trek
0: but I love a lot of other IPs
1: a lot more so I've not seen Discovery or Picard which I really want to see Picard that one I really want to see but The point is I haven't seen these, so I have no real opinion on them. But what I have noticed is that they seem to have resulted in very divisive reactions amongst the fans. Because I'm pretty sure Star Trek fans are pretty split now. Probably because of the J.J. Abrams reboot, which I'm sure got some people into Star Trek And I'm sure, also, to many Star Trek fans, was a bastardization of everything Star Trek. But the point is, I have not seen Discovery or Picard. But this is the one thing I do know for certain about Discovery. A lot of men seem to really not like Discovery. I have only encountered one woman who has openly made it clear that they dislike Discovery. Almost every woman i talked to who watches Star Trek Discovery has told me they like it, except this one. Uh, so, I don't... I'm not saying that means anything. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything. But statistically, it feels weird. I do know a few men who like... Star Trek Discovery. Uh, but I will say, once again, the men who like Star Trek Discovery seem to be the minority, and the women who don't like it seem to be the minority. And the thing about it is, is I'm not interested in telling you whether or not I think it's because the show stars a woman. Maybe it is. Because i got to be honest, a lot of gatekeepers are just incredibly obsessive cis het white males <sighs> who in, in most situations I it would be <sighs> I'm just saying their obsessive nature makes me hope that they have some type of personality complex or disorder that explains why they're so obsessive about something. And that's giving them the benefit of the doubt. Because the not giving them the benefit of the doubt would be for me to sit here and go, I think they're fucking sexist, insecure, snowflake white people. That being said, uh, I do feel like at least a large portion of those people are, you know, obsessive, snowflakey, cishet white people. And non-cishet white people who, for some reason, really identify with cishet male white people. Where was I? Right. So, that's the ah, the fucking thing. Like, I haven't seen it, so I don't have a real opinion on it. I've just noticed the cultural phenomena around it. Another example of this is recently... DC Comics published a book called I'm Not Starfire. And the book is now. and I want to specify, I've not read this graphic novel. The graphic novel intended for a young adult's graphic novel intended for a uh, girl audience to attract a girl audience, I should say because all books are kind of, sort of, technically for everyone but the point is it is demographically marketed to be a girl book to attract girl readers and tell the type of stories that comics writers hope and think that girl readers will want to read and not just girls but, you know, tween to early teenage girls because you want to Grow your demographics and markets, you know, because that's what good businesses do. (sighs) However, this book has spawned quite a reaction from angry white male YouTubers. I should say man YouTubers, because technically when I say male YouTubers, I'm specific. That's me specifically referring to their genitals, and that's weird. Because, side note, the word male typically refers directly to your genital. They are man YouTubers. Straight, his, cishet, white man YouTubers, mostly. Who go out and make these long videos where they attack this book. Now, here's the thing. I could criticize certain things about this book just from looking at it. So let me describe the book to you. The book follows a... Uh, a short, uh, a short fat teen girl with a very goth aesthetic whose mother is the Teen Titan superhero Starfire. Now, I don't know who her father is supposed to be, but if I was going to object to a part of this book, um, it would just be the genetics, uh, typically, genetically speaking. You get most of your DNA from your mom. So the fact that the girl definitely, clearly resembles whoever her father is more than her mom doesn't really make sense. However, I mean, like, if I broke it down, I'd say, okay, so Starfire is tall, she is orange, because she's an alien, she's got purple hair, and uh, she's super strong, can fly, has powers, and this teenage girl is, is short white, black-haired, uh, doesn't appear to have any powers. Now, to be fair, I haven't read the book, so I don't know if there's a part where she discovers her powers or if, like, her goth facade is actually all makeup and, uh, I mean, her whiteness is part of her goth facade and it's all makeup. Probably know, she could be orange under there. But, I mean, like, realistically, she would have, like, one or two traits of her dad's and she would mostly look like her mom. Uh, But here's the thing about that, is why bother criticizing this? For starters, it is a fictional book for an audience I'm not part of. And that's the thing I don't understand, is why there are 35, 40-year-old men on YouTube complaining that DC Comics would ever want to publish a comic book that didn't identify with them. Because this is the other type of gatekeeping. This is the, in Star Wars, it's that they, the gatekeeping is an intentional move to try and control the property. But this gatekeeping, whether they know it or not, has less to do with how that property is handled and more to do with what type of audience it keeps out. Now, to be fair, no nerd would openly say, hey, I don't want girls to not read comics. I, I mean, some of them might. Some of them are pretty horrifyingly misogynistic, but I will give some of them the benefit of the doubt that they would at least on some maybe conflicted cognitive level want girls to read comics. But the problem is, is that they want all new audience members to come to the property and love it the same way that they do. Because that's what a fan... Because that's the problem with fandoms is this fundamentalist, religious almost, conceptualization of this type of criticism. I have not seen Star Trek Discovery. I have not read my mom. I mean, I, I've not read I Am Not Starfire. I think that's what it's called. Is it, my mom is Starfire? Is that what point is I've not read or seen these things so I don't know how particularly well done they are on a more execution style level but I would be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and even if I didn't enjoy them I would still recognize that there was an audience for it who it did have some meaning or impact for. Because this is the important thing to understand about our fandoms, ladies and gentlemen, is that we have to share them. We have to share them with people, okay? I fucking hate campy Batman. I mean, the Adam West Batman stuff I love because as a child I watched and didn't understand it was campy. But I fucking hate it. But I would never try to tell someone that they were wrong for loving it. I might tell someone they were wrong for thinking that George Clooney was acting well in that movie. But I would if 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 that movie really does elicit them joy, then it's not my position, it's not my job to take that away from them. I think we get very heavily into this idea of critiquing media uh specifically fiction and and trying to hold on to it and trying to you know keep it as this pure thing for us and that's bullshit and you should walk away from that and also the other thing you have to understand here is that a lot of the of the arguments that are being put forward in order to gatekeep are fucked they're fucked up white people's shit what do I mean? What what am I talking about? Okay, so here's the thing. When <sighs> Captain Marvel came out. I saw that movie. And you know what? I enjoyed it. Was it my favorite Marvel movie? No, it was not. I thought that the writing was very mid, and the action was some of the least exciting I had seen in a Marvel movie. However, I did enjoy Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson's chemistry throughout the film, and I thought it was a fun little buddy cop-esque romp with at least one decent action scene and a controversial twist near the end, but that's not the point. The point is, is that fanboys... It turned out that a portion of very fragile white men on the internet hated Brie Larson and went into the movie attacking and hating her because of reasons? Don't get me wrong. I think there are things to criticize in that movie. But, like, it's also not the worst comic book movie I've ever seen. And what's wrong with the film is certainly not Brie Larson's fault. If there was anything about that movie, I'd say that Brie Larson was the thing that worked for me in the film. But, because a certain portion of the internet thinks that Brie Larson is a man-hating feminazi, a huge portion of sensitive white males proceeded to only buy tickets to hate-watch the film. The other thing that a lot of these same people heavily criticized about the film was that the original Captain Marvel, who does appear in the film, has been gender-swapped to woman now the thing about that is is that that's an is to see that and complain and be like hey
0: that's not comic accurate they
1: made they
0: they made him a woman
1: if but the thing about that is is that that's literally not even the biggest change they made to the original captain marvel character uh they not only did they make him a woman they never gave him his costume they changed his power set. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't do any of his backstory, and at no point was he technically ever called Captain Marvel. Uh, they, uh, she was never at no, any point called Captain Marvel. The point being is that they changed almost everything about that character, and you're only mad that they changed that they were a woman. Into being a woman. Changed it that they were a woman. As an in into being a woman. You know what I meant. I think it's interesting that out of all the changes made to that character, Novar? No, wait, not Novar. What the... Uh, what? I'm forgetting what the first Captain Marvel's name was. But the point is, is that out of all the things they changed about that character, the only one I've ever heard anyone complain about is that they made that character a woman which I will point out was more thematically on point with the film and not even the biggest change to that character. You know what? We'll take this moment to transition over into a quick discussion on race bending now because this is the other thing where we re- where they really the gatekeepers really <laughs> come out to try and hold that gate down and closed. Fucking race bending. Now, let me just say, anecdotally, from the from the black nerds I have met in life and discussed it with, and the black, uh, the African American nerd brothers I follow on Twitter, it appears that the overall consensus, or as much of a consensus as I can draw from my limited anecdotal example. the limited amount that I can draw from my anecdote example anecdotal example anyways in terms of this information is that by and large most African American nerds would prefer that the actual comics featuring black superheroes would get get adapted instead of just changing white characters to be black that being said It's also, that being said, it's hard for them to not associate the vicious backlash against race spending as racist. Because it is. Almost no one is a fan of necessarily of race spending, but only people who are racist are actively against it. Does that make sense? Do you follow me? See how the Venn diagram lines up there. Now, the other thing that a lot of whitey's like to say on the internet is they like to get up there and they're like, "Well, how would you feel if if there was a white black panther or a or a, or a white a, a white Luke cage, huh? What about what then? What would you say then, huh? Huh? But you see, Whitey, the problem with that argument is, first of all, it, it doesn't really prove anything. You're going for some type of hypocrisy, but the que- but your, your argument itself comes from a place of not understanding the argument at all. You see, the thing is, is that there are very few characters where their whiteness Is written to be part of them. Whiteness is by and large for many writers in the industry at the time that a large portion of superheroes were created. White was the default setting. To do anything that wasn't white would be an extra step. Essentially, oh, we got, oh, let's see here. Oh, I wrote a bunch of characters today. Oh, here they all are. You know what we need? A character who's not white a character is not white which will immediately send the writer into a mode where they will begin to write a character who is expressly not white Luke Cage is written to be expressly not white because he is based off of he is based off of black exploitation movies therefore his inherent essence is connected to his blackness Batman, however, could be black. If because there's nothing about him that is written to be inherently white or inherently British or inherently Scottish or inherently Italian. The, do you see the point I'm making here? And then you got Black Panther, who is written his entire essence and character base is that he is you know royalty from Africa and he has these powers related to his African heritage and then you or then you have someone like say Black Lightning who is a DC character Black Lightning who is a DC character who so yeah let's say you wanted to write a white version of Black Lightning oh, well, that would be a really interesting comic because it would be all about a white guy because it would be all about a white guy who shaves his head and moves to an inner-city school to teach, who moves to an inner-city school to teach there and shaves his head during the day and puts on a fake white person afro at night to go out and fight crime against the various drug dealers in an inner-city society. And then later, when he gets offered a position on the Justice League, says no for no moral reason at all. For context, Black Lightning said no to the Justice League because, uh, because he morally didn't feel like they did enough for the black community. So White Black Lightning Most of his actions, not light, a lot of black lightning's actions are very rooted in his in his support of the black community. That's a part of his, that's a central part of his character. And now you could hypothetically tell that story with a white guy, but it'd be completely different because that context would be completely different. A white guy who comes to the inner city schools to save black people from themselves? How condescending. What a stupid story. Do you see? Do you see why it, why changing that aspect changes their whole dichotomy? In reverse of this, there are very few white characters who have stories that are essentially about their whiteness. White characters are based off of mainstream culture, which is more of a meshing of all cultures and then filtered through a white lens. There is also a disproportionate amount of white superheroes to to other ethnic superheroes because, and this is a fact... (laughs) during the 1940s and 50s and even into the fucking 60s publishers at major comic book companies were afraid to put black people in comics because they were afraid that people in the south wouldn't buy comics with black people in them yeah 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 This was a policy that was so ridiculous. Marvel Comics, when publishing an adaptation of the James Bond film Dr. No, which takes place in Jamaica, for those who don't remember the film, they published a comic book that takes place in Jamaica that featured literally only white people. Go Marvel Comics. It was a big deal when Black Panther came out, because it was the first ongoing comic book series starring a black protagonist. And it was a big deal when Jack Kirby came to DC and basically created their first four black characters. Which, by the way, Jack Kirby does not get any credit for. People frequently miscite a character from the Legion of Superheroes called, uh, I think it's Tyrock as the first black DC character. However, this is a lie. Jack Kirby created four black characters at least six years before that. So, yeah. Just just saying, just saying, just saying. If you if someone if someone told you that was the first DC character, they are fucking full of shit. <clears throat> Tyrock is a lie. Anyways, where was I? <clears throat> also, his story was kind of racist. I'm not good. But I'm not here to talk about that right now. So, where was I? <sighs> The point is, there are not a ton of white characters whose whiteness is so inherent to their character that changing it dramatically violates their character in any way. That's what I'm saying there. That's just not how the stories work. Black characters, typically, when written, were written to be black. Therefore, changing their blackness would inherently change their character now i know what you're saying but come on people change so many things about these characters i'm like okay fair however i will tell you that i don't think that race or gender are the most important aspects of these characters and i have a specific thing that points to the argument of this rooted in comic book history the existence of the total reboot. And specifically the total reboots of the Flash and Green Lantern solidify that sometimes a total reboot of a character where many facets of them are changed can sometimes be not only good but great. In the 19 in the 1940s, the co- Green Lantern and The Flash were published by DC's sister company, who they later would absorb. Green Lantern and The Flash were as follows. Green Lantern was Alan Scott. The Green Lantern, who wore a costume that was surprisingly only green in the cape and mask, and he would fly around with a magic ring that would create any objects or things, Anything his imagination could imagine. And his weakness was to the element wood. Wood fiber fucks this guy up for some reason. And then, and then there was the Flash, also known as Jay Garrick, who got his powers from being exposed to, checks notes, hard water? Hard water vapors? What? And runs around with a Mercury-esque helmet on his head at super speeds then the 60s those comics sort of faded out and then the 60s happened and the publishers were like hey we need more books who can we bring back and so they got the idea to reboot the flash and green lantern as essentially completely different characters who would later go on to be the more iconic versions of these characters, even though the old versions would eventually be reintroduced into the DC universe. However, however, these new Flash and Green Lanterns were as follows. Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern, while his ring, he had the same name and a ring that had the same powers. However, his costume was a strict Black, green, and white, and his and his powers were no longer magic, but from outer space. In fact, for lack, in all intents and purposes, he was a space cop. So basically, then we go to the Flash, and the Flash, the Flash is now Barry Allen, who is a poli- who is a police detective who gets struck by lightning and gains the powers of the flash his costume now more of a slick jumpsuit thing with more consistent color patterns my point being here is that dc took the flash and they took green lantern and they changed almost everything about them from their hair and eye color to their to their costumes and origin stories they are fucking origin stories quite possibly the most prominent fixture in any superhero's creation, the fucking origin story so my point is if you can change that many things about a character and it still causes people to love it How can you say that's invalid? We all love our characters. We all love our hobbies. We all love these things. But sometimes we need to dig deep down and realize that it's okay for other people to love them differently than us. I don't know if I've just been rambling at you for a long time just now, but I hope what I've said makes some kind of sense. And the next time you go out there and you think about how someone is ruining your childhood's favorite franchise, whether that be Ghostbusters or Star Wars or Batman, Please remember that it, A, wasn't just your childhood, and that, B, this version might mean more to a newer child's childhood. Swing open the gates. It's okay if we love the same things for different reasons. I hope that sounds like a conclusion. And I hope I gave you something to think about. I would really like to burp on command here, but I ran out of fizzy water a while ago. Oh,
0: oh, oh, I hate you, Brie Larson. I hate you, Brie Larson. I hate you so much, Brie Larson. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, I hate you, Brie Larson. I hate you, Brie Larson. Oh, uh, uh. Hey, hey, mom. Hey, mom. Can we get, can we get, uh, we need to buy some more, uh, tissues, mom. We need to buy more tissues. I can't just go around buying more tissues every time Brie Larson says something feminist on the internet to me. For God's sakes! But, but, mom, we, We need the tissues. Go get a fucking jab!